Most Christians agree that theology is one of the most powerful tools out there for deepening our understanding of God and the world. But what happens when theology goes wrong? What happens when it becomes an idol? What happens when we put our pet doctrines above the love for God and our neighbors? What happens when we use theology to justify harmful attitudes and behavior towards others? These are the dangers that we'll be exploring in this episode. Once again, we're joined by Dr. Gary Bashirs. He's a fan favorite of the show. He's my professor, an amazing theological mind, and yet so down to earth and humble and encouraging. You're going to really love this episode. If you haven't heard the previous episode, please go back and listen to part one. In today's episode, we're gonna start by asking a tough question. If all Christians have the Holy Spirit, why are there so many Christians with theological differences? If God is speaking to all of us, why are some things still unclear? How can we find unity in the midst of theological diversity? We'll also hear from Gary about how God changed his heart to be more open with those who disagreed with him. Gary will share his insights on how to approach theology with humility, curiosity, and a willingness to learn from others. We'll also look at the dangers of theology gone wrong. When theology is not approached with the right heart or attitude and ends up actually becoming a burden on the learner, leading to crises of faith, doubt, and deconstruction. Gary is also going to share his perspective on how we can help those who are struggling through doubt and deconstruction. And for those who want to study theology but feel overwhelmed and don't know where to start, at the end of the episode, Gary is going to share some practical tips on how to approach theology with care and discernment. So get ready to deep dive into these tough questions and to explore the dangers of theology gone wrong. Here we go. Let's dive back in and pick up the conversation where it left off last time. Here's the episode. Let me ask you this. Here's, this is a question that's like plagued me for ages. This is a theological question, okay? But it, ha- it has to do with the, the core of Christian unity. Because if we're going to be theological disciples, walking with Jesus together, there should be unity. And as Christians, we believe that the Holy Spirit is all-knowing and that all Christians have the Holy Spirit within them. We also know the Holy Spirit hates disunity and confusion. You know, there's scriptures that point to this. 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. 1 Corinthians one ten. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no division among you perfectly united in mind and thought. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope and future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, who's over all these things. So I I find myself wondering if if we all, if every Christian has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's all-knowing and he hates disunity, why has God allowed, why has the Spirit allowed so many different denominations and theological streams to arise in the church. That's just been yeah. haunting me for years. Like, why would he allow that? Well, why he allows it, I think that's kind of the wrong question. Mm. He allows it because we have wills that can act in different ways different than his. So I don't know he's allowing it, is that's what happens in his world. Mm. And he's not going to shut down the world, at least not yet. So there's, that's going to happen just because we're acting in our own will. But the, uh, you sound like a Calvinist there, Aaron. <laughs> the, uh, uh, like God is giving permission to all kinds of sin. Well, okay, here, here's the, here, uh, here's here's what I mean. Let me clarify a little bit. Yeah. So it, it's like the the Holy Spirit 
the, my understanding of the Holy Spirit is that he speaks to us. So yes, hmm, let me, let me think about how to like, okay. So, so in like secularism, the way that they view world religions is there can have this mentality that it doesn't matter which road you take because we're all getting to the same place. And there's people out there that think, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe or what religion you subscribe to. All that matters is that you believe in something, but Christianity is different. Like we believe that despite of all of our theological differences and, and quibbles, we, we, we believe that the questions that we're asking actually do have right and wrong answers. So, so, you know, Calvinism and Arminianism, for example, when it comes to the debate, the truth is there is a correct answer and an incorrect answer. Someone is right and someone is wrong. It could be the Calvinists. It could be the Arminians. It could be the Calvinians. Someone is right and someone is wrong. We don't know for sure. You know, my Calvinist friends would probably say that they know for sure that they're right. My joke question for them is why didn't, why am I predestined to believe differently then? Yeah. So I'm just trying to say, <laughs> if we have the spirit and he speaks to us, what? why does he seem to be saying different things to different people? Because most people who hold theological views would be like, I hold this because God showed this to me. You know, Calvin came up with his views because he said, you know, he's thinking God showed these views to me. Uh, he wouldn't said he's a cessationist. Okay. There you go. Uh, but the, uh, <laughs> that's a whole uh, other thing. <laughs> yeah. The, the answer comes at that spot in that scripture when we stay close to scripture, there's unity. Mm. As we get away from direct statements of scripture and start making logical conclusions, if this is true, then that is true. That's where the differences come. Mm. And I think that's part of it is that we're connecting dots around things the scriptures not actually address. Mm. And we connect dots in different ways. Another thing is there's a lot of places where scripture is silent yeah. about some pretty important stuff. Should we do our should we do our uh, our worship services in an Anglican Book of Common Prayer way, right. or should we do them in a free evangelical way? That's a dividing point, and it can get pretty dicey sometimes. And so those are places where Scripture just doesn't answer that. How long should a sermon be on Sunday morning? Should we even have sermons on Sunday morning? Mm -hmm. Scripture does not address that. I think it's purposely silent allow for different cultures and different personalities. Mm. Another reason why divisions happen is we have personal rifts mm. between individuals, conflict, true. Paul and Barnabas, for example. I know that's true in some movements I've been a part of. And those are personal things where, because of the, the rift between Paul and Barnabas, there were probably disciples of theirs that did not get along well. So there, those, there's a lot of reasons why those rifts, the denominations can happen. And that's where, again, I want to call them back to the foundations. What are the things we agree on? It's Apostles' Creed. Actually, it's more than that. And say, we can agree on those things. We may not be able to go to the same church on Sunday morning because of differences, say, on a Book of Common Prayer approach versus a, a Freedom of the Spirit approach. But we can work together very effectively and be part of the same kingdom, even though we do our households different. Hmm. So I think that we can... We should be working toward an evangelical ecumenism that's around the foundations of faith while celebrating the diversity of different expressions, say again, between a more ordered worship service and a more spirit freedom worship service. Are your songs on Sunday morning going to be psalms out of the scripture? Hmm. Are your songs on Sunday morning going to be rap music or <laughs> God forbid, country music. Oh, man. Uh, There's a church yeah. here in Oklahoma I mean, literally just called the Cowboy Church, and I don't know what goes oh, on yeah. there, 
but uh, I did a wedding of a couple <laughs> that came to Christ through a cowboy church in the cowboy church led by a friend of mine. I'm never going to go to that church. It's it's a franchise, oh, yeah. a network. There's a network of no, Calvary church. No, it's just a... it's a description of a type of church. Okay, and uh, and this this church is a good church. I just not my style of music. I <laughs> I, I would go to it under protest and kind of smile about it. But I saw, you know, it's, that's where the diversity comes in. I think it's a good thing because of very different personalities and cultures mm. and the diversity, if it, if it represents around an evangelical ecumenism, a unity around the fundamentals of faith, the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed or something like that, then we can have differences of expression and that represents just differences in personalities and cultures. And I actually think that's a good thing, not a bad thing as long as they do it around the unity of the faith. Mm. That's good. That's, it's a challenge though, to find that unity. Oh, it is. I, uh, yeah. man, I get on, I get on Christian Twitter, which I always regret. I don't know if you ever get on there, <laughs> but it's a mess, Gary. <laughs> Christian Twitter is a mess. But one of the things I always see on there is the guys I feel like who are the loudest on Christian Twitter come from more of like the post mill eschatology standpoint. Usually there's Calvinism connected to that. Not always, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, they'll get on there and they'll start talking about, you know, how, yeah, the, it was right for the Calvinists to persecute the Anabaptists because they were wrong. And I'm sitting there like, well, I mean, I'm not like full Anabaptist, but I definitely have some Anabaptist leanings. There's a lot of stuff that they say where I'm like, Hey, I resonate with that. Like I, I describe myself like John Tyson. I've got Anabaptist longings, but it, it's, man, it can just be so divisive out there. I mean, I've seen that my whole life in Calvary where, you know, the, in our tribe, and I always have to qualify, not necessarily my home church, but just, it's a big tribe. You go to camps, you go to conferences, you hear things, you see posts and yep. that attitude of like, we have it right. And everyone else is not only wrong, they're dangerous. And that's where you have to say, where's that in the Bible? And if you can't show me it's specifically in the Bible, then you can't say you're wrong. You can say we differ. Mm. Yeah. You can say I'm wrong when I'm showing scripture where, okay, it says this and you're going that. Mm. Then I can say you're wrong. But if we differ on things and you can't show me something from scripture, then you cannot say you're wrong. You can say we differ. And those two differences are real difference. As the Bible says is one thing, it seems to me that maybe is a different thing. Mm. And what happens, what you're describing is when people take second level type things, things the scripture is not addressed directly, and they look at somebody who comes to different conclusions and say, you're wrong, that's, that is absolutely serious sin, yeah. it seems to me. Make every, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4.3. You don't do that by taking my dot connecting and then say somebody connects dot in a different way is wrong, yeah. I mean, if you mean it seriously. I think a lot of the the tension comes from the fear that people have where it's like if we get theology wrong around the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or eschatology or soteriology, baptism, you know, whatever, if, if we get it wrong, it's going to completely ruin the way that we do Christianity. And, and so there, there's like that that gatekeeping where it's like you you're a pastor you've got your flock you want people to follow jesus correctly like one thing i always heard in calvary was you know the reason that we have to never stray from our premillennial dispensationalism is because you know your eschatology impacts everything it affects everything and and i think there's some truth to that but to, to me where i go with it is well let's look at like 
not the necessary the 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 eschatologies that are like quibbling over the specific time Jesus is coming back. Let's look at inaugurated eschatology, the idea that Jesus is king. And, you know, when he rose from the dead, he's the firstborn son of the new creation. And when he was on the cross, yeah. you know, it's him rising to that status of like the king of the new creation. And no matter where you lean, dispensationalism, all mill, post mill, all of us can believe Jesus is king right here and now. Like all of us can believe that we we have a call and a mission to go and make disciples and preach the gospel to me. So yeah. to me, it's like, why can't we just agree on that? And, and then everything else. Well, that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. And whether the rapture is pre-trib or post-trib and those kinds of things, unless you can show me specific statement in scripture, which I challenge you to do because you can't, <laughs> let's just hold that looser, have your opinion, but say it seems to me that the best way to understand this is that it'll be pre-trib or mid-trib or late mid-trib pre-wrath or whatever. Yeah, when I when I see things where it's like, you know, like, like eschatology, the Calvinism debate, all that stuff, when I see things and I'm, it's like, okay, respected Christians, thinkers, theologians within orthodoxy have been debating this for centuries. Maybe it's okay to give some grace to somebody who has a different belief. Yeah. And maybe it's okay to give grace to myself for not even feeling like I fully figured it out, you know, right. uh, and, and to just then focus on what makes the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. And those are the essentials of faith, the foundations of what, and that's where, the mission is to do, be love, mercy, do kind, do justice, walk humbly with our God, mm. those kinds of things, and we can agree on those things. Uh, we may not agree on whether we have a which translation of the Bible is the best translation, yeah. you know, and those kind of things. Those some of those wars are not as big now as they were. We've just been through the the mask, no mask, or vax, no vax wars. <laughs> and, and we elevated any that. place in Scripture addresses either one of those yeah. things. But we elevated but we it to are, the level we, of salvation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And, uh, and that divisiveness, that's the foolish controversy that Scripture warns against constantly. And ironically, some of the people the most divisive were the ones that were busy calling others, the other side of the people sinfully and divisive, but could not see themselves. And that's why I think we need to be constantly praying those last two verses from Psalm 139, search me, know me, see my thoughts, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Mm. And if I'm ever opening before the spirit and before trusted friends to sh help me see the wicked way in me, that deals with a lot of problems. Mm. It's very true. I, I love your heart in that. ask a personal mm -hmm. question around this sure. what work did god have to do in your heart to get you to the place where you're at now with it was it a journey did you resist it at all was was there were there times where you were more dogmatic around things about your specific tribes that you were in and, and it was hard to let go of that what, what's kind of your your like just just share your heart and your story with it uh well i've got 50 years of story you're not <laughs> going to hear that in the next few minutes i yeah, it, one of the very hard things for me in my journey is when I started teaching here at Western is that I was very deeply committed to a kind of a standard 4.5 Calvinism. And I'd taught that I'd, and I felt very comfortable in that. 
in theology of suffering that comes out of the idea that this is God's best, though in the short term it may be absolutely horrible. There's a comfort in knowing when I'm going through something awful mm. that God has a purpose for that. Mm, yeah. Uh, and as I moved into where I'm at now in a more Calminian view and where there's a war going on and God loses battles, that took away a certainty that God always wins. But I think that's not correct. I don't think God wins every battle. I think there are things where he loses battles. He won't lose the war, yeah. but he loses battles. And that means that there is absolutely wasted pain that comes into my life, the life around me. If God is losing battles, that that was a difficult change for me because the mm. idea that God, there's always a divine purpose behind things gives me a comfort. Okay, God is still in control. Mm. Now, when I say we're in a war zone, God is not always in control. God loses battles sometimes. And that that was a big change for me, still is. Mm. I would way like it that, that everything had a divine purpose behind it. I just don't think that's correct. Same thing, I would like very much for God to be egalitarian as far as <laughs> women in leadership is concerned. As I say what lightheartedly, I can't get the Bible to agree with me, but I still think it'd be way best for that to be the case. Mm. And I, I, those are places where I'm personally not comfortable with where scripture is leading, but as I read the scripture, what, accounts for, what view accounts for the most biblical data, the fewest difficulties, it takes me in ways that I would not be inclined to go. But I don't want to commit the sin of Eve and Adam in the garden where they saw the fruit and said, gosh, this is good for food and pleasing to the eyes and it'll make me wise. Absolutely, I, I'm confident God would want me to do that yeah. when God specifically told him not to do it. If I'm trusting my perspective more than trusting God's revelation, that's that's a sin of betrayal and distrust. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I love your heart in that because I know as a Calminian, non-Calvinist, non-Arminian, and as a complementarian, I know the respect and the love and the the care that you have for your peers who are Calvinist or are egalitarian. And and yeah. I it, and it's this understanding of we're all trying to follow Jesus as best we can. We're all trying to understand. Yeah. I, I always say this phrase, like because people, it's like when you grow up in church with the flannel graph and the veggie tales and the Sunday school stories, all of the weirdness <laughs> of our faith becomes so normalized. Yeah. But it's like, okay, think about it. We are trying to understand spirit beings from another dimension. Like yeah. <laughs> we're trying to understand, like, I don't want to say aliens, but in essence, it's like, like spiritual beings from another dimension who created us and then somehow died for us and saved us through dying for us and love us so much that they were willing to die. It's, it's insane talking snakes and all this stuff. It's like, it's so bizarre. Like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but at times I, I remember being at private school and we'd be talking about other religions like Jehovah's witness or Mormons. And it's like, man, those guys are so weird. Have you heard what they believe? It's, it is bizarre. And then one day I was sitting there like just reading the Bible and I was like, wait a minute, like this is really weird too. <laughs> but it's oh, just yeah. been normalized to me, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think it's yeah. true. I think it's the truest thing in the universe, but it is very strange to the, the modern <laughs> unspiritual ear and even to, to me. And I, th yeah. I, I think we need the humility to embrace and, and own the, the oddness of it and the weirdness of it. And, and this, this is just my speculation, Gary. So this is not any authoritative statement. It's just, it's just me trying to parse things out in my mind, but it's like, mm -hmm. you know, like going back to that question of why does the Holy spirit allow different Christians to believe different things? 
about these secondary, you know, third tier issues. Why didn't he just add footnotes into the scriptures where it's like, hey, when Paul says this, some of you guys are going to think it means this, but it actually means this. Like, wh why didn't he do that? And, and part of me thinks maybe it's because he knew that it would draw us all into just a deeper sense of searching and a deeper sense of, I want to know this God and understand him. And there's still so many things that are mysterious. There's so many things I don't know. And so I want to pursue and find out. And maybe, mm -hmm. maybe he allowed it because he, he didn't want it to be so cut and dry that we just had to turn off our brains and say, yeah, everything I need to know is clearly laid out in this book. Maybe he wanted to draw us all in to a deeper discovery. And then when we get to heaven, you know, Calvinists, Arminians, dispensationalists, all male, post male, we're all going to be sitting there at the feet of Christ, just weeping about how much we got wrong and how much grace yep. we were extended. You know, that that's my naive pie in the sky, optimistic vision of yeah. maybe why. I, I don't know. What, what do you think? We'll see. <laughs> well, I think it, I think I think the scripture is silent to allow for different cultures and different personalities. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of those things come. And and having closer definition on some of these things would then rule out some cultures. And if you're looking for Christianity to be a multicultural religion, which it is, we've got to allow for those differences of cultures to show up. Mm. And so I think that's why a lot of those things are silent is in order to allow for different cultures and different personalities to express the true faith in their own way of doing things. It's mm, good. Gary, we've talked a lot, a, a lot of different winding paths here about just the, the the way to apply theology to discipleship. What does it look like to follow Jesus and understand him and that quest for knowing him with our mind, the, the way that we interact with other Christians on that path and on the journey. We've talked about theology as a positive. I want to ask you, can theology ever function as a negative? Like what would you say about the potential that theology has to actually disrupt someone's path of discipleship. And, and what I'm talking about specifically is people who maybe grow up in a very kind of sheltered environment where they're, they're just in one church, they've got this one interpretation of everything and everything's just clear cut. Everything makes sense. It's a systematic theology and all the ducks are in a row. And then they come to seminary because they want to go deeper or Bible college or, or Facebook group or whatever. They go somewhere where they're going to get exposed to other ways of thinking about things and then all of a sudden when they discover how complex it is and it's like oh my gosh this thing i thought was really clear there's 15 different interpretations of this like it it causes them to spiral and they start to doubt they start you know it's like how can i actually know god if none of us know for sure you know and they start to deconstruct and then the next thing we know they've they've walked away can you speak to that at all that i mean i'm sure you see that constantly at portland and you know just the nature of portland and the nature of seminary well, what you're describing there is not theology. Mm. That's doctrine. Mm. You're doing it in an abstract place in a closed system with pre-digested answers that you're to memorize. That's not theology. That's doctrine. Mm. Doctrine, or sorry, theology is lived in real life 
with diverse people, diverse cultures, Christianity is to be a place where there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. And what you're describing is not theology, in my, would be my view. And if you've got a tidy, tight doctrine that is true of your particular family or church or tribe, it'll, it'll work okay as long as you don't ever venture out of that tribe. Mm. But that's, that's not theology. Theology is always done in diverse community with Scripture open and listening to the Holy Spirit. So I'd say what you're talking about is not theology. It's, it's the abstract doctrine. Hmm. And when you come from that perspective, you've got a human system, maybe around a divine core, but that human system needs to come down. The problem is you said it's either all true or none of it's true. And that's where the if you find one thing's at fault, then the whole structure comes down. But again, you've been mistaught because you said everything is certain, and if one thing topples, the whole thing goes down. And that's true in the rigid doctrine structures. That's true in many different tribes, including many of the secularist tribes. True. And that's where the different levels of certainty, that which is clearly spoken in Scripture, I think we can have a real agreement on that. Mm. But as you get further out from the direct statements of Scripture, we have to have a decreasing level of certainty. And that, I think that's where the, the resilience comes around a solid core of Apostles' Creed level or something like that, foundations of what really is true. Because you've got to hold on to what is true. Mm. Jesus is God come in the flesh. God is a relational being in his essence. Salvation relationship with God is a gift, but I have to accept it on his terms and so on. Those are those are not negotiables. Whether you, you sing hymns or do rap music in your worships or in Sunday morning, or, you know, just pick one we've talked about here, preach a rapture, you can have a tidy doctrine that'll make all those things certain. You can't have a theology that'll make those certain. Mm. So it start doing theology instead of abstract doctrine, or on the other side, just we can't be sure about anything, which is where a lot of stuff is. Dad, I've got to, I can't have commitments. I got to keep my options open. And there's a f- huge fear of commitment in today's world, and people are afraid to believe anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. What I'm hearing is the the problem is that when you have doctrine divorced from relationship, you're not actually getting theology but that's correct but when you have belief combined with community not just with others yes. in the body of christ but also with christ himself it's 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 yep. more of a healthy a healthy process yep. that's yeah that's that is good and um again multicultural multi-ethnic yeah multi-theological tribe kind of unity then you can say what really is the core and what is things that are away from that core yeah and because it breeds it breeds humility to say we're all trying to figure this out but it also breeds confidence Hmm. if i can look at several different tribes and and we all say this about jesus then i've got real confidence in Hmm. that so there's a humility of a sense but there's also an absolute confidence this is true jesus is god come in the flesh yes and i don't have to equivocate on that well you can't be too sure about anything no i can be totally sure of that Right, because if if we're sure about the essentials, then I can look at my friend, I can look at, you know, four different friends that have a different eschatology and different soteriology and all that stuff, and I can say, hey, I have confidence 
that if we continue to pray, if we continue to get together and, and read the word, if we get, continue to, to try to reach our city and our community and our, our people for Christ, he's going to bless it. And it doesn't yep. matter. Like we're going to have some different methodology. We're going to have some different approach, but God's going to use it all <laughs> because right. ultimately like his agenda is so much higher than our individual theological emphasis agenda that we have. And, and so right. I can look at the church down the street that's within the umbrella of orthodoxy and trust that even though they're doing things completely different from how I would ever do it, <laughs> it's like we're on the same team and we've got the same coach who's, who's right. steering us all towards that same goal. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that is, that's beautiful. I love that. I think, um, so how, how would you help somebody down that path of realizing that we don't have to be certain of everything? How do you help them from not going so far in that direction that they just completely go over the rails? Because what I see with guys like, um, I used to listen to this Bible podcast called The Bible for Normal People by, it was like Pete Enns and somebody else. And I started to really pick up from Pete this idea. I think he's written books on it and he's really focused on it. But, you know, this idea that we don't have to be certain about things. And I, I, I can't say how far Pete takes it because it's been a while since I've listened. But I know people that are like students of him and disciples of him. And the fruit I've seen of it is they're just like, yeah, you can't be certain of anything. So it's just everything's kind of up for grabs. And if I, you know have some magic mushrooms and go on a psychedelic trip, you know, whatever God shows me is my truth. This is very much what I've seen with progressive theology. I've got friends that are yeah. liberal progressive theologians and they're like, words don't have meaning. Like we, we come up with the meaning that we want those words to have. So there's no authorial intent. Like we can't look at the scriptures and assume any authorial intent. We just have to figure it out. How do you keep people from going that far? I, having them, do they really believe that about what they're saying? Hmm. Is there no authorial intent in the statement they just made? <laughs> right. Let's be realistic. You have an authorial intent. Why wouldn't the Bible have authorial intent? Oh, so good. <laughs> that kind of, I mean, those are just stupid. It uh, is. Right? It really is. It just, no, as soon as you, if you can't live it, then you're not believing it. Hmm. And I can't be certain about anything. Well, you just said something you're very certain about. You know, some of those things, you just have to have them stop and think a little bit. And again, there is a core in what Scripture actually says that I need to receive as truth from God. Mm. And that's where that is a spot we have to be. There's an absolute conviction this is truth from God because it's clearly stated in Scripture. Mm. The further we move from the clear statements of Scripture, the less certain we need to be. And that, to me, that's the key is the authorities in what scripture actually says and that we take home and live it mm. and we have to live it even though i don't like it and many times i don't that's good it's really good This is a follow-up question that comes from my buddy, Kellen Criswell, my former boss over at CGN and one of your yep. uh, former students works with you now at Western. He says this, uh, mm -hmm. if a friend comes to me and confides that they have been deconstructing and they're no longer sure what they believe about Jesus, what are some do's and don'ts 
of that moment relationally? Depending on the relationship, there's almost always a pain reason behind that. Mm. Deconstruction is almost never intellectual. It's almost always emotional. Yeah. And somebody, I feel hurt, and so I'm going to start drawing away, and then I start justifying my drawing away. Mm. So my thing is always trying to, okay, what's the point of pain that caused this break? Mm. That's where I come at it. I don't, at that point, I'm not opening my Bible and say, what does it say right here? Yeah, I'll yeah. do that later. Mm. But if the person actually talked to me, they almost never will, though. They'll almost never tell me the real reason for it. They will give intellectual justification for what they're doing. And I try to get at that. What's the pain point? What's the loss that's caused you to walk away from Jesus? No, that, that's so spot on. I've, I've seen that. Yeah. I, I've got friends that have deconstructed to the point of just completely walking away. And that pain comes up. Like, we'll, we'll talk and... Right. We'll get into, you know, it's like, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? And it's like, man, like that pastor really let me down or like, I got fired from this church for this, this, and this, and that they were, they were yeah. wrong. They mistreated me. Or, you know, my, my small group leader said this really offensive thing to me and everyone agreed with him. And I just felt like an outcast in my church. I felt like no one understood me. I started leaning this way politically mm -hmm. and it felt like everybody rejected me and was like, unless you're a conservative Republican Trump lover, you can't follow Jesus. And so, which is, that's a whole nother episode to mm -hmm. get into that. But yeah, it's just a lot of times people have felt pushed out. A lot of times people, you know, maybe they were sinning in a particular way and the reaction of their church was so overblown to it that they didn't feel loved or that there was even any hope for redemption or for forgiveness or for repentance. And so yeah, I think that pain thing that you're getting to is at the heart of right. so much of this deconstruction moment. Yep. Hashtag church hurt is kind of what they, they call it. Well, but on the other side, I have to stop and think, name me an organization you're part of that has not disappointed you. Yeah. And now a church has disappointed you, legit, and you're throwing Jesus away? Yeah. Jesus wasn't the one who disappointed you. Don't blame Jesus for what the church did to you. Yeah. And let's also talk about what you did that made you an absolute jerk in that process yeah. too. Because we see ourselves as victims, not sinners too often. And we, and we are victims of oppression at points, but we're also sinners. Yeah. And from a Christian perspective, we need to talk about my own sin as well as the sin of the person who hurt me. Yes. And to say, I'm the righteous victim, I'm the innocent survivor, that's Satan talking. That's not Jesus talking. Yeah, no, that's spot on, Gary. I mean, the number one PR campaign that Satan has against the church is Christians that have gone wrong. Yeah. It's it's flaws in the church. And so yeah. it's... But we never talk about the good things that Christians do in those contexts. Yes. How many people are kind to you after the pastor is mean to you? Right. And then you walk away and leave Jesus because the pastor is mean to you. You know, that's where trying to get at the pain instead of, well, I mean, you, you tend to generalize because pain grabs your attention way, way more than kindness does yeah. in the short term. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the pole of secular society right now falls in with the Marxist framework of if there's problems in any of these systems, the solution is always to then just destroy the system and burn it down yeah. and build something better. And we're seeing that with yeah. every everything. So yeah, Christianity is an easy target for that. It's like, look, pastors have sinned. Look, pastors have made mistakes. Let's tear it all down. And, and, and to me, I think it's easy for us on our side of things who are in more of the 
theological conservative, you know, we're, we're in ministry, mm-hmm. we're doing stuff to get defensive and to just be like, oh, oh yeah. you know, they don't know what they're oh, talking sure. about. Absolutely. But I think, I think the, the solution is when we see wrong, we, f- within our circle, we fight it because if we don't, like people aren't going to get the message. They're just going to see the flaws. So we, ha- we have to, we have to do the work within to root out any of that stuff. And I don't know how to fix systemic problems at a systemic level, but I can, I can work on myself. I can work on the people right. I mentor, the people I influence. And if we're all doing that and trying to just build a better church culture that doesn't hurt people, but points people to Jesus. I mean, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be hurt. But right. I, I think if we just let the criticism fall on a deaf ear and not do some course correction and to like reflect, like I'm reading this book right now, Scott McKnight's book, A Church Called Tove. And it's just been so helpful to be like, wow, there's some serious problems here. Doesn't mean burn down the system, but it just means let's 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 learn from these lessons, these mistakes and let's right. adjust. Yeah, exactly. So Gary, as we're closing this episode, I want to ask you, going back to the heart of the question of theology and discipleship, what encouragement would you give to anyone listening that wants to follow Jesus as best they can, but they don't necessarily know where to start when it comes to theology? Or maybe they even, they can't afford to go hang out at seminary with you, you know? Where's a good place to start to open up that door into deeper theological understanding. Oh gosh, there's so many good possibilities. I know. <laughs> uh, as far as Bible is concerned, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Bible Project to get you into yes. really reading scripture. As far as theological kinds of things are concerned, one of the sources I've been real happy with is biblicaltraining.org. Mm. Bill Mounts has that site. There's a lot of material on there. I've got a a short course in theology that's recorded on there. There are others in there. Not everything is of equal quality, but it, it's it's really good stuff. It's it's free to the user. You can learn a lot. The the thing you don't get when you're listening to Bible Project videos or Belmont's BibleTraining.org stuff is you don't get the interaction around it. Yeah. So the best possible thing you can do is grab some people that you get along with, pick up your Bible. Yeah. Pick up something, you know, an introduction to the faith type thing, and then start working through it with your Bible open and say, what do you think this is true? You know, I, that's a great thing to do. Hmm. There's a lot of that material out there and, and get the stuff at biblicaltraining.org and take one of the courses, take one of the classroom courses on Bible from Bible Project, but do your Bible open, get a group of friends and get the interaction around that. That's a good inexpensive way to do things. Or you can come to Western Seminary and I will put my mark on you and ruin you for life. There you go. So there you go. And pay a lot of money for it. I'm enjoying the ruination. I'm enjoying the process. It's been great. (laughs) Um, Last question, just as a pastor, not not strictly as a professor, but as a pastor, what encouragement would you give to somebody who just feels overwhelmed by, by the sheer vastness of theology and all of these different beliefs and streams and, and just trying to understand it all. And they're trying to walk with Jesus. They're trying to be a disciple, you know, and even they're they're it's, it's maybe causing them to drift into some doubts about God's character, who he is and all that stuff. 
at a pastoral level, what, let's close out with just some encouragement. What would you say? I guess book-wise, I mean, there's so many different places to start. One of the books that I found really helpful is a little book by Tim Keller called Making Sense of God. Mm. And what he's doing there is trying to help people use their critical tools on other views because it's easy to look at Christianity and be critical of Christianity. Take that same critical work and take a look at secularism. Mm. And so what he's doing in that book is saying, okay, we're all looking at a spot that cancer afflicts you, your kid dies in a you know, motorcycle accident or so, whatever. What view makes the most sense? What is the most livable view? Mm. And I think Keller does a really good job in that book for somebody who's just feeling overwhelmed to say, yeah, it is overwhelming, but let's say, where are the fundamentals that help you live this life? Mm. I think that's helpful. The other thing to do is get into a, a serious prayer group with some people where you just open your life up to God and say, God, show me where I can grow and do it with your Bible open. Love that. That's so yep. good, Gary. Thank you so much. Well, oh, life here, is man. overwhelming. There's no doubt about it. And cheer <laughs> up as an old man, I'll tell you, it gets worse, not better. <laughs> uh, but live my life today in faithful discipleship of Jesus. Mm. And don't worry about what's happening in Washington, D.C. or yeah what this celebrity said about that celebrity. A lot of overwhelming is because we're involved in things that are, are, are not of any concern to us and we get all exercised over something that's happened in political fights in DC or the celebrity fights in Hollywood. And literally tune that stuff out, you know. You're gonna put all it, the, uh, a, it, the the Christian social media influencers, so, social commentators out of business, Gary. Most of them should be out of business. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Thank, yep. Thanks so much for being here. Seriously, thanks for your heart. Okay. Thanks for your ministry. You're you're such a gift and blessing to me and so many. So I just I I'm so thankful for you, Gary. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. We hope this episode has encouraged and challenged you to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Our goal and heart for the show is to always be pointing you to the God who is not safe who is very, very good. If you enjoyed this show, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. The more reviews we get, the more people are able to find the show. So please leave a review. It helps so much. The Good Line Podcast is produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. And we are a part of CGN Media. For more great content, visit cgnmedia.org. For more from Good Lion Ministries, you can also find tons of podcasts, resources, courses, and more at our ministries website, goodlion.org. If you'd like to support the work that we do, please visit goodlion.org support. With your help, we can continue pointing people to Jesus and providing thought-provoking resources for the church. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this episode helped you on your journey of following Jesus. And until next time, keep your eyes fixed on him.